Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. Tonight, I want to talk a little bit about empty space versus sacred space. Pastor, he said he he was thinking about occupying space. Uh, I want to talk about empty space versus sacred space. When you talk about deliverance from demons and the the topic of demons, uh, you could go a whole lot of ways. And as Pastor said, there's a whole lot of talk on social media right now about demons. And uh, uh, some of that I wanted to kind of share tonight. uh, Things like where demons come from where they originated, uh, according to scripture. Uh, Some things that's going on in this culture that has to do with demonic activity. And listen, it's a whole lot of it. Some of the movies that you watch, very demonic. Uh, Things like, you know, a lot of stuff that Disney puts out. I know people love their Disney but it's, I'm telling you, you know, movies like Elemental. Elemental. In case you don't know, there are five elements of witchcraft. Fire, water, earth, spirit, and wind. They are slowly attempting to indoctrinate us into a demonic culture. And so you can go a lot of ways. But tonight I want to talk about the empty space versus uh, the sacred space. And we're going to go from Matthew 12, 43 through 45. I hope you have a pencil and paper tonight so you can take notes. Class is in session. Matthew 12, 43 through 45. And it says this, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty. Say empty. Swept and put in order. But then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it also be with this wicked generation. Empty space. Empty space. So we were not made to be empty in our in our inner being we were made to be indwelt and we are made to be indwelt by somebody other than ourselves our souls cannot exist in a vacancy 
If we don't allow Jesus Christ to occupy his proper place in our soul, in our inner being through the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, then we're not, if we don't allow him to be there, we really open ourselves up for anything else to be there. Because we weren't made to be vacant. This is very important, very important. Because man was not made to stay or be in a state of spiritual neutrality. When you think about spiritual neutrality and all the, the, the different uh, beliefs that people have, a question kind of arises, and th this is what I kind of thought about. What about people who don't believe in Christ? People who are living in sin. If God is not resident in them, do they operate spiritually neutral? Are they simply just are they simply just empty? Are they unoccupied? The Apostle Paul said this in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. He said, and you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which, in, which, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. That's in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. So unbelieving people, they don't live spiritually neutral, unoccupied in their inner being. If Christ does not dwell in them, then someone else or something else in the form of an idol is actively at work in them. Paul calls it the prince of the power of the air. In case you didn't know, that's the devil. He is the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So anybody that is not a believer is in that category. Now the devil, he is not um, uh, omnipresent as, as God is, but he can still influence the lives of people through unclean spirits who they, they operate under his control. 
And so, you know, he's working in the sons of disobedience. But he's using a lot of unclean spirits to do it. When we create this kind of uh, vacancy within us, our souls, in, inside of our souls, that, that vacuum, it becomes irresistible to something. And it draws something to it. If, the, if Christ is not in you, something is on the way. The word says this, Paul, Paul was, uh, listen, Paul was, uh, he was on it with this. He said this, he will grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit. This is Ephesians 3, 16 through 21. Strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes all knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly Above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. See, God wants you filled with the fullness of his very being. In other words, so Christ, he dwells in us and we if, if he's not dwelling in us, you are under the influence of the devil. And I know I'm, I'm kind of going with this, taking this, because it sounds kind of black and white, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, that's how it is. <laughs> it's what the Bible teaches. There's no gray area. The Bible recognizes only two kinds of people in the world. The children of God and the children of the devil. Well, where is that? 1 John 3 and 10. 1 John 3 and 10 says this. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is he who does not love his brother. First John 5 and 19 says, We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway. That, that word sway means influence of the wicked one. So the world it is under the influence of the wicked one. This is why he said, love not the world, nor the things in the world. Because all that's in the world is lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. The world is influenced by the wicked one. 
And it's sad because we, we have to teach and preach to Christians that they shouldn't love the world, but it's, you sh- they should already know that. But a lot of them do. They love the world. They want to be like the world. They want to look like the world. They try to talk like the world. Come on. Christians. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4. It says, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So they've been, their minds have been veiled, from the, and their eyes have been veiled. From the light of the gospel. That's anybody who is not born again. And so we have to make this clear because there's a lot of people who say they're Christians and they are not. Because they they haven't been born again. And if you're not born again, you are still blind to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're still lost. And you may be a good person. But the road to hell is going to be paved with good people. If Jesus Christ does not dwell in our hearts, something else or someone else most certainly will. Good people. So, okay. They may not be possessed of the devil, but they are influenced. If, you, if they don't believe, they are influenced. And they may not, quote unquote, uh, quote unquote, serve the devil, you know. Like a lot of people today, they're doing it on purpose. They know what they're doing. A lot of these, these entertainers, they know exactly what they are doing. And so some people, they're not, they don't serve the devil, but they're serving an idol. Because if the, because if the devil is not in them, possessing them, then something else is there in the form of an idol their career, their family, you know, you name it, their possessions. An idol is there because man was not made to be vacant. He's got to be filled with something or someone. Now, demons, demons are parasitic. The definition of a parasite is this. And I believe we have that. May not, but a parasite is an organism that lives on or in a host organism and gets its food from or at the expense 
of its host. So, a parasite lives on or in an organism and gets its food from or at the expense of the host. And that's what demons do. Feeding on people. And they do it at the expense of the person that they're in or oppressing. Now watch this. Matthew 12, 43, 45 again. It says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, seeking rest and finds none. Dry places. I learned this the hard way. This is what I mean. <laughs> I was in Bible school, and uh, a young lady I knew who, was, who had been delivered from demonic possession, uh, God was using her. I mean, he was using her. She was getting people free. From she was in, she was into witchcraft previously before she got saved, and God was using her mightily. And uh, I mean, I, re I remember went to a a uh, psychiatric ward to pray for somebody, and it, and we got on the floor. It was all quiet. But when we began to walk past the rooms, when she began to walk and she was walking ahead of me, those spirits and those people began to act up and show out. And they were coming up to the windows on the doors and it was crazy. One day she calls me and says, hey, been ministering to a young man who is in, uh, he was a Muslim. And, and she says, I almost got him out. And she said that he's been seeking Christ. But now the devil has raised up. And his wife called me. And she said, can you come over? He's saying a lot of crazy stuff. And, and I can't understand what's going on. So I said, okay, I'll go with you. We get there, and this man was a small man in stature. He bit a big plug out of his wife's arm. When we walked in, uh, he was on the phone, and he said, come and get me. They're here. Come and get me. And he hangs the phone up. I didn't know what he was, what he, who he was talking to. And he turns around, and the phone voice, and the voice he spoke to us with was totally different. He turned around, and he said, who are you? And it wasn't his voice. And I said, oh, my God. <laughs> And so she said to him, come out. 
And he said, I ain't coming out. And so she was doing all the ministering. I was just there for some kind of support. (laughs) And so at a point you could tell that his deliverance is coming. And so this, this demon got real quiet, and then he said, he said, uh, can I get a drink of water? And so I turned, because I'm about to go get him a drink of water. And she told me, she said, no, don't do that. She said, don't do it. And I said, okay. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and so, <laughs> this is for real story, this is for real. Afterwards, she explained to me, she said, when demons come out, she said, that was the demon asking for water. Because when they come out, they go into dry places. This is, this is for real stuff. He says, I will return to my house. Notice this. He's, he's speaking possession, his house. He's speaking ownership because they want to own you. From which I came, and when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So the demon was in the man spiritually living in him, controlling his thoughts, controlling his actions, possessing him as if he was his own. When a demon possesses an individual, they own the way they think, the way they reason. And they drive them to relentless sin. And they do that because demons are relentlessly empty themselves. They're empty. A person... An individual is like a house, okay? If God does not live in your house and you give place to the devil in your life, it is possible that a demon can take up residence in your house. If a person has a a demon living in them, according to this scripture, he could be cast out. In the name of Jesus, say amen. Amen. But when he's cast out, he goes and walks through dry places. And, and, And so destruction and devastation follow demons wherever they go. That's why when they come up in your house, they make a mess of it. You gotta look at it like a house. He comes up into your house that's clean, that's swept, and that's empty. It's empty. 
and they make, they make a mess of it. And what happens is when the devil is cast out, and you got to know this, when the devil is cast out of somebody, that's Jesus cleaning the house. He cleans it. He, he sweeps it. The house is clean. But you cannot miss this very important part. After the house is clean, the person has to ask Jesus into his house immediately. This is why there are many people who get delivered from demons and then go back to the same thing because people don't take the time to tell them now, right now, receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior because the devil is cast out, but until he receives Jesus into his heart, the house is empty. It's just clean now. And the devil is, demons are not intimidated by moral reformation. So when someone gets delivered from alcohol, gets delivered from drugs, gets delivered from whatever as soon as they're delivered, the house is empty, okay? But the, the devil doesn't care that you walked out and you left with your clean house, and now you just going, I'm never going to go back to that. Well, that's fine that you don't go back to alcohol once you're delivered. And it's fine that you don't go back to drugs once you're delivered. But unless you get Jesus back up in your house, come on now. Unless you get Jesus up in your house to fill your house, the devil is coming. And that doesn't mean you'll go back to drugs. He'll just do something else. Yeah. He'll change it to something else. So if you're ever casting the devil out of somebody, <laughs> know immediately, once he's gone, Jesus has to come in there next. It, it is imperative that Jesus comes in the house because the devil's not, he's not intimidated by moral reformation that your house is clean. A demon thrives in bringing chaos to order. So he, he likes that your house is clean because now he gets to come in and do what he wants to do is bring chaos. The real issue is not that the house is unoccupied. So when the, when, when the devil is cast out, so the, the issue is not that the house is unoccupied. When he comes back, the issue is this. There's no power in there. There's no force in there. There's no Christ in there to keep him out. That's the issue. You can't leave your house empty because eventually the demon will decide to come back to his house. And when he sees that it's cleaned up but empty, not only will he move back in, but he brings seven more spirits worse than him 
in order to bring you into a worse condition. Now, there are people get possessed all kind of ways. There's all kind of ways for the devil to come in. And, and that's why the Bible says don't give no place to the devil. That's why you need to watch, be careful what you're watching on television. Come on. You know, he, may, he, can't, he can't, you're born again, so he can't enter your person, but he can come in and oppress you. So you watch what you're listening to on the radio. Come on. Those people, they, they pray over that stuff. There are many entertainers that came out that about how they asked spirits to come into them. So they, they can perform, you know, they can act out the parts that they're playing. All this kind of stuff that's going on. And it used to be people hide it. Nowadays, they're coming right out and telling you. You know, people known at concerts said that they sold their soul to the devil. You know, this, this, people are coming straight out and, and saying it. I, I, I know because I got guy on my job, you know, he, he's into witchcraft. He brings his book to work. His little witchcraft. You can't bring a Bible to work, but he can walk around with his little witchcraft book, you know. But the world is wicked. Come on now. Empty space. Don't leave your space empty. Now, this is why you have to know this, okay? Because we're going to talk about sacred space. Empty space versus sacred space. Now, sacred space is this. Sacred space is a place where God is encountered in a special or direct way by virtue of which the very place becomes holy and set apart from ordinary space. It is a point of reference to which people return, either physically or in memory. Some sacred places are the site of once-only encounters with God, while others are places of perpetual visitation. I got that from the Dictionary of Biblical uh, Imagery. Dictionary of Biblical Imagery. Sacred space is where God is. Say sacred space. It's where God is or where he has appeared and is set off from normal space. It's also land God has claimed as his own and given as an, an, an inheritance. So, Sacred space is where God appeared. Now, in Scripture, whenever God showed up somewhere, one of the first things they would do was build an altar because they considered wherever God showed up as sacred. And it also refers also to the land, you know, 
We call, we, that's why we call Israel the Holy Land. It's because God had dedicated a land for himself. That's his, his, his inheritance. And so the first, Eden is the first sacred space. Eden was the first sacred space. Because Eden was God's dwelling. And it was a, a portion, a, a place in the world. Eden wasn't the whole world. It was just one place, geographical place in the world, on the earth. Eden was marked off. And we know this because it talks about the river Euphrates and the river Hittacal and the different rivers that marked off Eden. And so God said to them, he said, what I want you to do is to take dominion, subdue, and multiply. Now, now what they were supposed to do is this. They're in Eden where it's separate from everything else in the world. You, they, were in, they were in Eden to tend to the garden, cultivate it. But they were supposed to go outside of Eden and make the rest of the world just like Eden. That's what God had appointed for them to do. But as we know, we're here today because they did because <laughs> they didn't do what they were supposed to do. Genesis 2 and 8 says, The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. So there's Eden. Within Eden is a garden. Man was supposed to tend the garden. But besides that, he was supposed to go out and subdue and take dominion over everything else and make it just like Eden. Why? Because Eden is sacred space. It's holy. How do we know that? When Adam sinned, God put him out. And then he put two cherubims. Am I in the Bible? He put two cherubims at the east gate of Eden so that he cannot come back in there. Because it was sacred. And it was sacred because God was there. So if you follow this theme of wherever God is being sacred, the next place, if you follow along through scripture, is the tabernacle that's sacred. The tabernacle. The tabernacle is sacred space. Now, the tabernacle, it was a sanctuary, a portable sanctuary. It was called the Tent of Meetings. And the Bible says that Moses was told to construct the tabernacle and its equipment according to the pattern shown to him by God, by Yahweh, in, the, in uh, Mount Sinai. Okay? 
Exodus 25 and 40. He told him, 25 and 40, see to it that you make them according to the pattern which was shown you in the mountain. Now, he had to do it exactly the way God wanted him to do it. Why? Because God was going to dwell there. Because there's this tent language throughout Scripture. Okay? And, and so you have, to, you have to see the tabernacle was a covered tent. And then watch this what Psalms 104 verse 1 through 2 and 1 and 2 says. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty who covers yourself with light as with a garment who stretched out the heavens like a curtain. Isaiah 40, 21, 22 says, have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. So God is, was looking for a place to dwell. He created the heavens and all the host of heaven. He had, he had his family in heaven. And then he created the earth. And he started his family on earth. But he dwelt in heaven. And he dwelt on the earth also. Dwelling with his, fam his family. He's looking for a place. Now, let's go to the next thing. If you go through scripture, there's Eden. Eden there's the tent. Then they moved to a tabernacle, uh, a temple. And that's in 1 Kings. Let's look at 1 Kings 8 and 6. The temple became a sacred space. It says, then the priest brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place, into the inner sanctuary of the temple, to the most holy place under the wings of the cherubim. So when you walked into the temple, if you went into the most holy place, they took that tabernacle that God was dwelling in and put it up under the wings of the cherubim. And that's where God was. 1 Kings 8 and 6 is the same in 2 Chronicles 5 and 7 says the same thing. It was a sacred place in the most holy place because only the high priest could go in the most holy place. Why? Because it was sacred. Psalms 5 and 7 says this, As for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy and in fear of you. I will worship towards your holy temple. The temple is holy. Habakkuk 2 and 20, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. The temple's holy. So Eden was holy because God dwelt there. The tabernacle was holy because God dwelt there. 
The temple was holy because God dwelt there. Then comes Jesus. Jesus is sacred space. John 2, 18 through 21. So the Jews answered and said to him, What sign do you show us since you do these things? Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. He's using temple language. Then the Jews said, it, was, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you'll raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Because Jesus was holy space. Now we know and we understand Jesus was holy space. Jesus was sacred space. Where is sacred space now? Every believer is sacred space. 1 Corinthians 3, 16, 17. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? And if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Ooh, somebody said it right. My God. Now, in context, when he says that if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. He, he's, he's, speaking as, he's speaking in context about the church as a whole. If you set out to destroy the church, I'm, I'm just taking this. This is what Paul said. He said, if you set out to destroy the church, because the church is the temple of God. You, so how, how can you destroy the church? Bring division. Come on. You come in, you're lying on people. <laughs> you know, some people set out to destroy, destroy the church. Somebody said, we Baptists, we'll mess this church up. <laughs> I heard somebody say that before. Listen, no, because if you set out to destroy the temple, the Bible says God will destroy you. But there, So he's not speaking individually. He's speaking as a whole. But if you bring it down to individually, destruction happens in your life when you destroy the temple. How do you destroy the temple? If you're smoking, you drinking, having illicit sex, anybody and everybody. The temple of God is holy. Which temple you are. You are now sacred space. See, this is why a lot, there's things I just couldn't do, I can't do because I realize I'm sacred space. That God lives in me, has taken up residence in my house. I can't do that because I'm sacred space. See, when you think about the fact that you're sacred space, you won't put your body with just anybody. 
Because your sacred space. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price? Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which is God's. He said, glorify God in your body and in your spirit because your body is God's body. <laughs> you mean this old broke down? Come on. <laughs> Visiting the doctor every, you know, two weeks. Body belongs this body that don't want to exercise, this body that don't want to eat right, come on. Yes, that body belongs to God. Not only does it belong to God, he's in that body. I, sometimes I think, because we, listen, we have to break it down like this because we, we want to take everything to such a spiritual high and make it all spiritual. No, God's in that body. Like it or not, he's in that body. When you decided to make him Lord of your life, God came into that body. This is why it is so demonic. What the devil is doing, making people hate their bodies. You, but you, you hate the house that God is living in? Come on now. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 4. For we know that if our earthly house, and then what does Paul say? This tent. He's using tent language is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked, for we who are in this tent grown, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but be further clothed, that immortality may be swallowed up by life. So you have to, in other words, he said, you got to know when this earthly tent dissolves that you have a body, a habitation from God that's going to cover you. You won't be left naked. You won't be left just out there. God has a body that's going to cover your mortality and it's going to be immortal. Come on. We're going to have a body that's full of glory. Oh, my God. I, so I wish I, sometimes I wish I had that body now. <laughs> I wish I had that body when I walk up in Vasa, you know, about getting ready to walk out, you know. I wish I already had that body. But God has a body already prepared so that when we leave this body, <laughs> I'm not just going to be out there in the universe somewhere. No, I got a body that's waiting on me. 
2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18. Do not be. Now, this is why. See, we, sometimes we got to know why, okay? Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. This is why you shouldn't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Why? Because your sacred space. Mm. <laughs> you are sacred space. They are not. And so what happens is you get unequally yoked up with somebody who is not sacred space. And then guess what? Yeah. There's a war that starts to take place. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? What part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of God. You are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, said the Lord Almighty. This is why you have to come out from among them because you are separate. You are sacred space. You are walking around with God in your being. When you show up on your job, guess what? God shows up on that job. When you go to the gas station, you walk in there to pay for your gas, God just walked in there to that gas station. That's, he's in you, and you are sacred space. Man, I don't know if y'all getting this. First Peter 2 and 5 says, you also are living stone. See, you're a living stone. And are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You're being built up. You're being constructed. So every time you come to service, guess what? You're being constructed. Every time you hear a sermon, you're being constructed. Every time we lift our hands in praise, you're being constructed. Every time we worship, you're being constructed. Every time you get down in prayer, you are being constructed. Every time you read your word, you are being constructed because you are the house of God. Oh, my God. And listen, the more construction you do, the bigger God gets inside. You're his house. Woo. Paul says in Romans, last two scriptures, Paul says in Romans, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and beg of you in view of all the mercies of God. This is from the Amplified. I like this. To make a decisive dedication of your bodies. 
presenting all your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world or this age, fashioned after and adapted to its external superficial customs, but be transformed, changed by the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideas and its new attitude so that you may prove for yourself what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in his sight for you. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, because you are his sacred space. He also said in Hebrews 8 and 10, Amplify, you need to offer yourself as a living sacrifice to the Lord so that he can do a cleansing work in your heart and mind. Don't be conformed to this world system, but allow God by his word, his spirit, to transform you as your mind is renewed to his principles that bring life and liberty for this is God's will for you. For this is the covenant, he said, that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will imprint my laws upon their minds, even upon their innermost thoughts. Understand and engrave them upon their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Hebrews 11, 8 and 10. You are God's sacred space. You, you're his sacred space. God all along wanted to dwell with his creation. He went from the Garden of Eden to the tabernacle in the wilderness to the temple to Jesus and now to you. Your sacred space. That's why you, this is why the Holy Ghost convicts you when you watch something you shouldn't watch. Because he's telling you, hey, hey, God's in here watching what you're watching. Come on. <laughs> That's what he's saying. Or you get, you're by yourself and you're about to do something. He says, oh, hold up, wait a minute. God's in here. You're not by yourself. You're his sacred space. You can stand to your feet. I just, I just wanted to give you something to ponder and to think about. That you are God's sacred space. This is what this means. When I think about this, when I, when I think about this, Sister Jane, I think about the fact that the God that is high and lofty, the scripture says, the God 
who not only is in heaven, but the Bible says he sits above the heavens and the earth is his footstool. The God that created all of the universe, the moons and the stars, and he knows them all by name. This God, the God that is eternal, has always been, who is now and will forever always be. This God, the God that sits on the throne and rules and reigns over everything. The one who is the highest height. He, he's the highest pinnacle of anything. This God. I'm not present God. Everywhere. He is here, but he's also in China. He's in China, but he's also in Africa. This God, all-knowing, omniscient God, there's nothing that he doesn't know. Before you even pray, he already knows what you even going to say. This God, has made me, little old me, his sacred space. And he lives inside of me. This God, I can't just do anything because that God lives inside of me. And in every area he wants to construct me, I want him to do it. Because I want him to be big in me. <laughs> I want to be the biggest house for God. I want to be the biggest house for God. How I many of you want to be just the biggest house for God come on if, if, if you're realizing that you're his sacred space I want you to come down we're just going to take a moment before we dismiss and just worship him just, just a moment and just worship him for how awesome he is <laughs> that he would make this flesh frail flesh mistake ridden flesh vulnerable flesh that he would make it his sacred space when you go to your job I want you to think about this that you are God's sacred space 
I'm his sacred space. I can't, that's why I, I can't gossip. I'm sorry. Y'all can go on and gossip about what you want to gossip about. I can't do that. Why? I'm God's sacred space. <laughs> See, I can't, I can't mistreat people. Why? Because I'm his sacred space. And you're my brother. Guess what? You're his sacred space too. You're his sacred space. Can't live in sin. Why? Because I'm his sacred space. He lives in me. And it's in him I live. And I move. And I have my being. Come on, lift your hands and worship. Can we just take a moment and worship him? Can we take a moment and adore him for who he is? Can we exalt him and give him adoration? He's in you. Open your mouth and worship. Come on, he's in you. Open your mouth and give him glory. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. 